Amen. Well, don't you feel a particular lightness in your heart and in your step on Easter Sunday morning? So just give me a heads up. Uh, those of you at the back, just wave at me if you can hear me. I'm always, oh, good, fantastic. That's awesome. Some of you in the front even waved at me. I didn't doubt that you could hear me. I felt like I knew that. Here's what I worry about outside is that I'm always worried that I'm like, I feel like I got to reach you guys back there. And so I feel real bad for y'all up here. I feel like I'm screaming in your faces. That's not my intention today. So, and those of you at home, we just want to say we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, we know you're worshiping at home today, and we are glad that you're there. And we know that Christ is alive in your home, just as he's alive with us here today. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at some scriptures today. First Peter chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2 primarily. So if you've got a Bible with you, you want to be in those places, you can kind of hold your place in both of those spots. All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of now having been able to sing with your people about your resurrection. And we've been waiting as we came together Friday and we meditated on the cross and we mourned that reality and we confessed to you that it's our sin that placed you there. It's us. We did that. We mourned that that cost had to be paid and yet we, even in that bitterness, held on to the sweetness of knowing that it's your love for us, your love of the Father and willingness to be obedient to him that kept you there on that cross. And then we walked out of that place just trying to hold on to what might come. You were in the grave on Saturday and now we've come and it's Sunday morning and we know that what we've sung and said is true that you have risen from the grave. And you have changed everything. You've changed us. You have brought a new reality into the very fabric of the creation. Help us to see it today. Help us not to forget it. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would take your word and let it be exactly what it is, a living word, May it instruct us and teach us. May it give hope. May it remind us of places where our lives need to change. And I'd pray too for our friends who are with us today, but do not believe. I pray that you would minister to them, not just through human words, not through a preacher preaching, but that you would minister through your spirit into their hearts, the truth of the resurrection. And may they see that as Romans 1 says, that through that resurrection, Jesus, you have been declared to be the son of God in power. And so we pray that they would see that. That's a work of your spirit. We ask you to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, the uh, who got a COVID dog? Did anybody get a COVID dog? Yep, I got a COVID dog. It's exciting times. So we, uh, we have a five-month-old puppy at the house, and she is a, a lot of fun, uh, but we have this, this new reality in, in my life where we let her out of the house through the garage. So you go through the garage to the side door that goes into the garage, and that's how we let her out, and that's where she goes to the bathroom. But the other reality that is now present in my life is that almost every night when I lay down to bed, I ask myself, did we lock that door? And I can never remember. Do you guys have that? My friends who are in their 70s tell me there's more of that coming for me. 
That's what they tell me. Just get used to it. There's more of that coming. So I can never remember. And it's the worst when you're already in bed and you're like tucked in and it's cozy and you're warm and you don't want to get your feet cold. And then you realize, I got to walk through the cold garage to check the stupid side door to see if it's locked because I can't remember. So I do that on almost, I try to remember to do that before, before I get in bed. But sometimes I don't remember that. And then I go check it. And I'm not sure why it's always my duty, but it is always my duty. And so we go do that and we check the door. But you know, I was thinking about that because we've titled this series, this two week series that we're doing, where last week we thought about the cross and we've asked, why do we believe? That's what we're titling last week's sermon and this week's sermon. And last week is why do we believe in the cross? And this week is why do we believe in the resurrection? And when you hear that, you might be prone to think that the, the aim of this is for those of you who don't believe to say, well, why do we believe? And you should believe. And of course we want you to hear this, but I actually, followers of Jesus, I have you in mind first, actually. Because like, I can't remember sometimes whether that door is locked and I have to go check it and I need to remember. Sometimes we forget why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we forget why we believe in the cross of Jesus. Maybe it becomes tradition to us. Maybe it just becomes what our family has always been about. You know, there's a variety of things that it can become to us. But I wanna remind us again today why we believe, why we, why we sustain or uh, persevere in belief, why we continue to believe. Now, when I say that, like I said, Romans 1 says that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And from that, what we, what we understand is the resurrection is a reasonable thing to believe in, and that it declares an objective fact, an objective reality, that Jesus is God in the flesh, God's son raised from the dead, and that he is then worthy of your allegiance and your worship and your affection. And there's a, there's a, a, a myriad of reasons to believe in the historical reality of the resurrection. It's a reasonable thing to believe. Now, I'm not gonna go through all the details of that with you today, maybe another Easter, but what I wanna talk with you about today is not just why the cross is reasonable, but I wanna remind you why it's, uh, sorry, not the cross, but the resurrection, the cross too, but why the resurrection is not just reasonable, but why it's compelling. You see, there's an internal work that happens in our hearts when we believe in the resurrection. And the, the scriptures speak to it in a variety of ways. And we're just gonna look at two today. But the scriptures talk about internal realities that are born in us, that come about because of what has happened at the cross of Jesus and then a few days later in his resurrection, that that resurrection does not just an eternal work for us, but an internal work in us. And that, friends, is one of the primary things that holds us in the faith, not just the objective realities of like, yes, there are good, objective, historical reasons to believe that the resurrection took place. But more than that, I find something in my heart as I have come to believe that sustains me and that's real, that's absolutely every bit as real as the external realities around us, those internal realities. Now, we might talk about these internal realities that the resurrection has purchased and done. We might talk about them as being made alive. If I was gonna summarize all that the scripture teaches about the internal things that the resurrection produces in the life of those who believe, I would summarize it that way, that we are made alive. Listen to what Ephesians chapter two says. It says this in verse four and five. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, and here it is, made us alive together with Christ. So do you see what Paul's saying there to the Ephesians? He's saying, Christ is alive, he's not dead, and we have been made alive together with him, right? And then in Colossians chapter two, which we're gonna look at a little bit more detailed later, but I just want you to see this theme here. In Colossians chapter two, verse 13, we find these words. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, friends, that's what I want you to see is that again and again, when the scriptures talk about the resurrection, they talk about this reality. When they talk about the cross, they say to us, in his death, you died. You are no longer living for yourself, no longer living unto your own desires, no longer primarily living for your own ends, your own aims, your own means. You're dead. Those of you who have come to Christ by faith, when he died, you died. But then it goes further and it says, and when he was made alive, then you also were made alive with him. So when we talk about these eternal and then internal realities, I should not go forward that way. I'll stay back here. When the, inter the internal realities that the cross works might be summarized that way, that he has made you alive. And I wanna remind you what he has done in you. Now, we've been through a hard trial of a year, yes? And I, as I thought about what to bring to you, what word to bring to God's people on Easter Sunday morning, I couldn't help but think, God, they, they need to be reminded of the internal realities of the resurrection, what it's done in you. Because here's the thing, in trials, in difficulties, in seasons like the one we've been in, what happens is we're prone to forget those internal realities and stop living out of them. Stop, we stop living like they're true is what happens to us sometimes. Instead of living in this new, being made alive reality that the resurrection has brought about in us, we find ourselves being something very different. And friends, I wanna say, I find that happening in me. I'm guessing you find it happening in you at different points. And so my aim here today for you, friends, is to remind you of that, is to remind you of what has happened internally, inside of you, and remind you what it feels like to believe in the resurrection, to remind you what that thing is inside of you that keeps compelling you, yes, the resurrection has taken place. Now, friends, at the same time, I wanna to say to those of you who don't believe, well, my primary aim is to, is to encourage the hearts of those who, of you who believe and in whom that internal work has been done. I do wanna to say to those of, you, those of you who don't believe, one of the best reasons to believe is when you see these internal realities worked out. And here's the hard part for those of us who believe is that we can't always put that into words. I'm gonna do my best today to try and put that into words, but don't you know that what Christ does in our hearts slips past language quite often? Would you agree with that? That it does something that you can't quite describe, but that doesn't make it not real. That's what I wanna say to those of you who are maybe joining us today for the first time and you're, you're maybe skeptical about the claims of Jesus. I want you to understand that in addition to those objective realities as it relates to the resurrection, there are all these subjective things that have been born inside of those who believe and we can't always put language to them, but that doesn't make them not real. Think about it this way. If I asked you to describe to me in words the color blue, how would you do it? You wouldn't, there's no word, you have to point to blue, right? Like you go, well, that, that's blue. 
or at least one shade of it. If I asked you to describe in words what, what sweetness is as a taste, like describe sweetness or describe bitterness or describe sourness, what would you, what would you say? There are no words for that. You would hand me a piece of chocolate and you would say, this is what sweetness is. Taste that. And then you'll know what sweetness is. And so friends, I wanna say to those of you who are perhaps investigating the claims of Christ and, and this idea of the resurrection is just sit with this reality. If you see again and again the realities that we're going to talk about today in the lives of those who believe in Jesus, that is evidence that should cause you to pause and to say, if the common factor that these internal realities are borne out in those who believe in Christ more often and more regularly than in anyone else, and do you feel the weight of that, Christian? If they're borne out in us more regularly and more often than in anyone else, then is that cause to believe. I would argue that it is. So we just want to look at two together today to encourage our hearts. Two aspects of being made alive through Christ's resurrection, and they are hope and forgiveness. Hope and forgiveness. Look with me at the words of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what they said, and Allie read them for us as we were worshiping together. I'm going to go a little further than she went in what I read here. In verse three, we hear, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you hear there in those first words of 1 Peter chapter 1, that what he's saying is the resurrection has produced a hope in us that is alive and can't be put to death. Did you see that then in verse four, after saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he then says, or sorry, into verse three, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So where does that come from? It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what he's saying there is an internal reality that is born in those who believe Part of what it means to be made alive is to have a living hope. Now, this doesn't just mean being more predisposed to feel hope. It doesn't just mean maybe being a more hopeful, generally person. It means to have hope as the defining reality of your existence. Now, that doesn't preclude grief. You remember we studied the book of Lamentations not long ago, right? And we see that for a believer, grief has a place in their life, but there is never in the, in the life of a believer a, a guiding reality of despair. There's always a guiding reality of hope. It's a, it's a fixed thing because the resurrection is a fixed thing. Do you understand? That we're not just saying, okay, 
for this season, friends, for this season, I have struggled to experience this internal reality of hope, perhaps. And you're saying to yourself, I haven't, I haven't felt much of it. I want to say to you today, if you haven't felt much hope, that doesn't mean that hope is still not a fixed reality in you because the resurrection is a fixed reality. You're, you may not be tapping into it, but it is there. That hope is there. And you know, you know why I can say that? I don't have to look into your life and know your circumstances and say, I, okay, here's all the hard things they've been through. So they didn't go through too much, so they probably still have hope. And they then went through a whole lot, so they probably don't have hope anymore. I don't have to do that. I can say to every single one of you that the defining reality, if you are in Christ, of your life is that you are a person now in whom hope is a fixed point. It is a reality for you because the resurrection has taken place and Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And what the scripture is telling us is because that has happened and you have come to him by faith, you now are a person marked and defined by hope, not despair. In seasons of grief, that's true. In seasons of joy, that's true. You are a person who is marked by an internal reality of hope. I need that to sink in because sometimes we slip into the way the world thinks, which is to say, I feel hope when situations are hopeful. And I feel a lack of hope when situations seem to kind of go beyond that hope. And friends, I want you to understand that that hope is a fixed point reality. Now, that's happened because Christ was raised from the dead. We saw that in verse four, but look at what it said after that. Because after we heard, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you see what Peter's saying? What he's saying is the hope now that you have because the resurrection has occurred is that there is this inheritance that's waiting for you and it can't be defiled. In other words, it can't be diminished. There's nothing about it that can be lessened. You have it, it will come to pass, and your eyes are to be set upon it. That reality of that new, whatever's happening here and now, that reality remains untouched. And because that future reality remains untouched, God's people then are filled with hope. The certainty of that reality purchased by the resurrection. Yes? Now listen, what happens next then? Because then, well, what do I do with the trials? What do I do in the moments I don't feel very hopeful? I'm not saying you always feel hopeful, I'm saying hope is always there. It's always present and it always is there to be tapped into and leaned upon because of these realities. But look at what he says after that. Verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see what happens to trials? The trials of the moment, the trials of COVID, the trials of this last year, they cause grief without a doubt, but they do not take away hope. They can't diminish it. And now trials, rather than being something that my hope depends upon, okay, when they come, my hope is diminished. When they're not present, then my hope is raised. What happens is those trials now become a vehicle by which our faith is refined. 
the tested genuineness of our faith. That's what he's saying. This last year has been a season of refinement for the church of Jesus. It's been a season where we're learning a lot about ourselves. Some things we don't like and some things we say, yes, praise God. There's been sanctification. There's been things that have been present and they're real and that's fantastic. And God, thank you for sanctifying me to that. None of that causes us to lose hope. All the places where we see a need for further refinement brought on by trial, we say, praise God, it hasn't taken away the hope. The hope is still there. That will be my reality in the future. And now, let me live towards that. Let me be refined. Let this trial produce a tested genuineness of faith in me. Church, are you with me? Do you hear me? That's the reality of what happens with trials. Now, what does this hope feel like? I, I want to see if I can't get at this. I'm saying these are internal realities. What does it feel like to have this hope through the resurrection in us? And there's two things that I think it, it feels like. Number one, it feels like peace. It feels like peace. And I, I wonder if you remember what this feels like. That no matter what goes on around you, there's this sense that no circumstance or trial can threaten the future that is assured to me. And that doesn't just lead to having hope about that future. It also leads to navigating those trials with a sense of peace. That there is this sense that nothing that's going to happen is going to touch that. And it brings, it brings peace. Friends, I don't know any way to have peace in life other than to believe in something beyond life that is better than it. I don't know any other way. I mean, I, the reality is peace can always be taken from you unless, unless your peace is in something that happens after this life and cannot be touched. That's the only way to have peace in life when trials come. Anyone can have peace when things are peaceful, yes? That's not hard. It's not hard to be at peace when things are calm. What's hard is to feel peace when the storm is on you. That's what's hard. And there is an untouchable, undeniable reality of peace that is born out of the hope of the resurrection. Now, here's, here's what I would say. It, for believers in this season, I think it looks a lot like just this sense of like nothing feels like it threatens us. It doesn't mean there aren't things that are wrong, things that are bad, things that are to be spoken against, but it, it's done so without this sense of none of that threatens me. It's not a threat to the reality of the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God and his throne and that he's on it and that he will bring it about. None of it touches that. So I remain unthreatened. The greatest mark of that in trials is if you can love your opponent. If people wanna know if peace is in your life that is produced by hope, the answer will always be, can you love your opponent? Can you love the person who puts you in the trial? Can you love the person who attacks you? That's the evidence. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Friends, the evidence of the hope of the resurrection, which produces peace, because nothing can threaten that hope, this unthreatened way of moving through trials, this enduring peace, the evidence is, can you love the person who attacks you? Can you do that? The answer of the resurrection is yes, you can, because you have been made alive in Christ Jesus and filled with hope, able to love your enemy. 
pray for those who persecute you. I think I heard that somewhere. The second reality, the second thing I think this produces is this ability to see, and I don't know if this is gonna sound arrogant or not, but I find this to be true in believers. There's this, when this hope is present through the resurrection, there's this ability to see the whole picture and not get fixated on the, the thing that's right in front of you, to see the whole forest and not the tree. You know what I mean? There's this ability to kind of approach life and go, and to continue to see it from the perspective of like, oh, I see what's way out there. I don't just see what's right here. It's kind of like when I've, I, I like to play checkers with my kids and my kids are still very young and they're getting pretty good at it. I mean, it's a pretty good battle now, but when they first started playing checkers, do you remember playing checkers? Like if you have kids when they were really young, they can't see more than one move ahead. So they, they're, gonna, they're gonna move their thing because they see there's a spot that's empty and you're like, oh, that's a triple jump for me, sweet. Right, but then they start, to, they start to grow a little bit and they start to see like, oh, okay, like if I go there, the result of that is gonna be this. And so like, you know, when you're the dad playing at first, you're like, I can see three moves ahead. This is awesome, right? And maybe they can at the moment. It's something like that. What this hope does when it's inside you is it just produces this really big perspective. It makes it, it doesn't mean we don't see the details. It just means we, we see this, this whole picture. We don't always know what God is up to next in the next thing or what he'll do next. In fact, we, we rarely know because he just, he just does it. And then he says, walk with me, walk with me. But you know what we do know? We know the end. We don't know all the details in the middle, but we know the end. And there's this way that hope fills us with this really big picture way of thinking. So as best I can describe it, I think that's the internal realities that are produced by this hope. And we believe and continue to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because we find that hope present in us. Now, the second thing I said we want to talk about today was forgiveness. And for that, I want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. So if you put a thumb there or a finger there, you can flip over. Listen to what Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14 say about forgiveness. And George read this to us. If you were at Good Friday service, George read this to us. And there's this beautiful combination of the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection in this text. They just, they're just right there together. In Colossians chapter two, verse 13, we hear this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Okay, so there it is. There's the reference to the resurrection. He is alive and he made us alive together with him. What's the result of that? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Do you see what he's saying there? He is saying that the resurrection is the assurance that the forgiveness that the cross has worked is in you. Because look what he goes on to say. Now, here's where the cross comes in. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what he's saying here, what Paul is saying to the Colossian church is that being made alive by the resurrection produces an experience of forgiveness. And by that, I don't just mean a mental awareness or a, a mental certainness that you have been forgiven because Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. And then he rose from the dead as an assurance that that payment was sufficient. I mean that you internally experience the reality of forgiveness that it strikes you, that again and again, day by day, something in you says, I am living life 
forgiven by God for all the sins that I have committed against him, all the ones prior to knowing Christ, all the ones that I have committed since knowing Christ, that I am living in life in this internal reality of forgiveness. And what is the feeling of that? The feeling is freedom, friends. Have you experienced that feeling? It's freedom. It, it's, imagine, imagine being told to walk, if I gave you a backpack and I filled it with 100 pounds and I put it on your back and I said, just walk through life with that. You're never allowed to take that off, never. I strapped it to you and I fastened it and I buckled it and I said, you have to carry that everywhere you go. How long do you think you would last? How heavy would that burden be? It would weigh you down again and again. It would affect everything that you did. It would affect the way you did your work. It would affect the way you you get cranky. You know, you, you'd say, I can't do this. I can't do that. Everything about your life would be affected by that 100-pound backpack that's just lashed or latched to your back and can't be taken off. And what has happened through the resurrection is the reality of forgiveness is that that weight has been taken off of you. It's been removed Christ has taken it and set it down and said, now walk through life like this. Walk through life in the reality that that weight that was brought on by your sin and your guilt is no longer yours to carry. I've carried it for you. Can you feel the difference between those two realities? Those are two exceedingly different realities to walk through life going, oh, it's, it's gone. It's removed. And those of you who have, who have come to Christ know what that feels like, don't you? You know what it feels like to not have to carry that anymore. And I don't care if you came when you were seven or when you were 70, the weight was too much to bear and he has taken it off of you. Now listen, if we've lived for a while with this reality of forgiveness, I, I think perhaps we can forget what it's like to feel that. But listen to what verses 14 and 15 say. When it says... He canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, and he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. But then listen to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you, do you get what that text is saying? You might, we read past that one, I think. What it's saying is that there are spiritually dark forces in the world that are very real that spend all their time hurling shame at you. They hurl at you constantly everything you have ever done or thought or said that displeases God and is counter to his ways and purposes, and they love doing it. That rulers and authorities is not talking about earthly rulers and authorities. It's talking about spiritual powers and a word we often use, principalities, demonic forces that want to convince you again and again that you are not forgiven. And here's the thing, friends. The reality is that those spiritual forces will throw at us all these things that bring us shame, and they're, they're not wrong with the things that they're bringing to us, that we are, in fact, guilty of the things that they bring to us. Now, they may lie some, too, and tell us things that are false reasons to feel ashamed, but they really don't have to do that. They can just tell us the real reasons we should be ashamed and the real real reasons we should feel guilty. And what Christ has done in the cross and then guaranteed by the resurrection is that he has taken all of their weapons away from them and said, you no longer have anything to throw at my people. 
there's not an arrow left in their quiver to shoot at you anymore. If they do, it's all false, every bit of it, because he has disarmed them. Did you hear that? In Colossians chapter two, verse 15, he has disarmed them and made it so that they cannot speak to that reality anymore. And now they are the ones who are put to shame rather than us. What does the internal reality, again, we're just trying to get at this. What does the internal reality of being forgiven feel like? There's a couple things I think it ends up producing in us or it feels like. It feels like rather than wanting to take advantage of grace, it feels like not wanting to sin anymore. One of the internal realities that the resurrection has produced is this forgiveness. And as a result, what it does in us is it makes us, it's Romans 6. Romans 6 says those who have experienced this grace, they don't want to go on sinning. They want to stop sinning. So there's this change of desires is what I'm saying. When you're forgiven, it changes your desires internally. Could you imagine what it would be like to live with those completely changed desires? You're, you're headed there. You are headed to a place of completely changed and altered desires. That's what he's working in you. And you can taste it. You can feel it now because of the resurrection. The other thing is it feels like is we still feel, do you know this? When we sin, those of you who are followers of Jesus, when we sin, we still feel guilty, don't we? And we still feel a sense of conviction. But do you know what's gone? Condemnation. When I'm guilty, I feel guilt. I'm gonna bring that to the Lord. But what is gone is condemnation. It can never be thrust upon you again. It can never be brought to you again because you are not condemned because Jesus is alive. Have I said that enough today? He's alive. Now listen, the freedom of no longer having to be ashamed because we're forgiven, it does a couple things in us. One, it makes us able to forgive others, yes? makes us able to forgive others. When, you, when, when the weight has been taken off you, you don't want to take it and put it on somebody else, right? When Christ has said, you're forgiven, give me the weight, give it to me. Take the backpack off. How foolish do we have to be than to say, someone sins against us and we say, here, carry this. We don't do that because we remember what was taken off of us. And so we long we long, not, not just willing to, do you hear me? Not just willing to offer forgiveness. We long to offer forgiveness. It's all we want. We, I want to forgive. I want to do every part of the forgiving I can do, even if you're not going to ask me for the forgiveness. I'm going to withhold retribution. I'm going to do everything in my power to give you as much of the forgiveness as I can give you, even if you don't ask for it. And then when you ask for it, oh, I've been waiting all along for the full reconciliation between you and I. That's what I've been longing for and waiting for. And now you come and you ask me forgiveness, given, granted, done. I've been longing to give it to you. Why? Because I have been forgiven and the resurrection has made me assured of it. Think about how practical this is. Who are the hardest people in our lives to forgive? You might say enemies. I say sometimes it's spouses. And here's why. Here's why, not because we don't love them most, but because the people who we love most are most able to hurt us. And forgiving people who have the most power to hurt us makes us really vulnerable. And so forgiving our spouses sometimes when they wrong us or getting it from our spouses when we wrong them can be one of the most difficult things and one of the most difficult places to offer forgiveness. As odd as that sounds, would you acknowledge that's reality sometimes? Because we, we have this sense of like, okay, I'm gonna be really vulnerable 
if we do that. But the experience of forgiveness in the resurrection makes it possible to forgive our spouses because we're no longer carrying that weight and so we don't want to make them carry that and so we forgive. But then it goes beyond that. And here's the real stunner. It goes beyond that and doesn't just say, okay, I will forgive them when they wrong me because I've been forgiven. It actually teaches me then to go further than that and to to live my life in sacrificial love towards them, to lay down my desires, to lay down my wants so that they can have what they need to serve them sacrificially at every turn. Because here's what the resurrection teaches us. Not only does that forgiveness make me able to forgive, it tells me that on the other side of that death, that sacrificing my desires, there's a death there. The other side of that sacrifice is a resurrection. The guarantee of the resurrection is whenever I sacrifice my desires, my rights, whenever I lay them down for the good of another, the other side of that will be a resurrection of joy. The resurrection has guaranteed it. You never have to be afraid that you will lose out and get less because you love sacrificially. You will always only experience the other side of that ultimately, the joy of the resurrection it has made it possible to live in sacrifice towards one another, towards our spouses and towards each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Do you see how practical that is? The resurrection makes it possible to forgive. We believe in the resurrection because of the experience of forgiveness that is present in us. So let me conclude by saying this. The whole argument today or the, the, the whole idea that I've been trying to convey is just that we... Um, We believe in the resurrection because of these internal realities that are born in us through it. And I've been trying to urge you to see them. And like I said, they get past words sometimes. So I'm trying to talk about something that sometimes gets a little bit past words. But friends, my prayer is that what the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now is he's causing you to recognize that these things are true. That that the Spirit, through his word, is then saying to the Spirit alive in you, uh, yes, that's true, that's right. That's good. And then the the last question for us is we prepare to go to our ham or turkey lunches or whatever you got prepped, right? The last question for us is, will we live out of that reality? Think of your life in Christ as a car that still has two engines in it, an old one and a new one. In Christ, you've been given a new engine, but unfortunately, sometimes we connect the car to the old engine and we run off that. And that's why we don't experience some of these internal realities because we continue to run off the old engine. But friends, every day, make a choice to connect your life to the new thing you've been given in Christ and watch as you flourish and grow in joy in the experiences of forgiveness and hope. And the list goes on and on. I've only given you two today. Those internal realities become more and more in you and they testify to the reality of the resurrection. Let's pray together and let's worship the Lord as we prepare to to leave this place. Lord Jesus, what a joy it is to experience a beautiful sunshine today and to sit here together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and to ponder and to think about what the resurrection has done. Lord, help us to see it. We pray that your word would take root in us and our overwhelming response is just to sing to you and to tell you how wonderful you are and how good you are. So receive our praises now, Lord Jesus. We pray it in your name and for your sake, amen. Amen, let's stand together and worship the Lord.